Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, we're continuing our series on the cross, and uh, I want to entitle this morning's message, I was going to weary my cross, I, hear, so I, ha- I had it on to here, and it came off, and it was jabbing me everywhere, so I took it off, but uh, the cross doesn't make you spiritual, so I've entitled this message, Caring Daily, Not Wearing Daily the Cross is what counts. We want to draw attention to the cross and what that means to us and what it meant to them in the first century. I want to read two key passages and we'll be commenting on that this morning. One's found in Matthew 27, verse 32 and 33, after Jesus had been severely beating, taken a beating, he did the walk to Golgotha. And the scripture teaches us after being brutally beaten and whipped. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they then went out to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. We'll comment on that in a few minutes about this carrying the cross because Jesus reminds us in Luke 9 the second passage this morning that all of us are to carry our cross here's what he told his apostles if any of you wants to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your cross daily and follow me if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But you, yourself, is destroyed. Father, please continue to add the blessings to the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, is wearing the cross the same thing as taking up? The cross. You see, many people wear the jewelry depicting the cross, but don't care about the meaning of the cross. Let me repeat that again. Many wear jewelry around their neck depicting the cross, but could care less or don't care about the meaning of the cross. You see, today the cross is a beautiful piece of jewelry, but then it was a symbol of cruelty. I do want to repeat that again. Today the cross is a beautiful piece of jewelry, but then it was a symbol of cruelty. You see, in the Roman times, the cross was seen as a terrifying object of torture, suffering, and execution. If you were carrying a cross, you were on your way to being crucified. When Jesus made this statement, 
to carry your cross or you cannot be my disciple, the disciples must have been terrified. To carry your cross means to fully put your trust in God amidst the storms and the battles of your life. I want to look at four things this morning that consenters to this cross as we look at the cross and the, the cruelty of the cross and the crushing weight of the cross and then the, com- the commitment for you and me to carry the cross. I do want to ask, tell the parents this morning, we will be looking at a one or two minute clip two times from the Passion. And uh, every time I look at it, I cry. And so I just want to let you know if you feel that you have someone in here that you don't want them to see that scene, then uh, now is the time for you to tell your child or your teenager, hey, or yourself, that I, I, it's not something I want to see and I can't see. So the first thing I want to bring to your attention this morning is the consenters of the cross. There, there are many people consenting to the cross. And I wanted to bring to your attention a few of those people. Last week we talked about, of course, Pilate Jacob brought up. that It was his envy that consented to the cross. He, he abdicated his responsibility to implement justice. And then what about the Roman soldiers? They were all involved in consenting to the cross. What about the religious citizens? We call this Palm Sunday in many churches. It was just a week before the crucifixion. All these religious people were singing his praises just like you and me. We're singing his praises this morning. What happened in one week where they were crying out? The religious people that sat in the synagogues, that sat in the churches, that watched on TV, that were singing his praises. And within one week, they were condemning him to death and consenting to the cross. And if you and me are not careful, we're going to let our politicians and our governors and our rulers and our religious leaders tell us how to think, what to think, when to think, and what to say. If you're not careful, the same thing will happen to us. Because guess what? Forget about the the politicians. It was the religious leaders. I want to zero in on that for a minute. The religious leaders that caused pilots, the soldiers, and the religious citizens to sin. Yes, they are responsible for their sin, but Jesus said they have the greater responsibility. Can you imagine all the pastors and teachers and seminary professors all consenting to the crucifixion of the cross? That's exactly what happened on our Lord's day. The religious leaders. Here's what Jesus said about the preachers. I want you to think in modern day because it's exactly what happened. The preachers in the churches The teachers in our universities like Yale and Princeton and Dartmouth. These were the people that were theologically progressive. And here's what Jesus had to say in verse 1 through 4 in Matthew 23. Now, sometimes I've received heat in my 
preaching throughout the years because I dare say something about some of the imposters that are on television preaching supposedly the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is Jesus confronting these religious teachers and preachers of his day. Almost every one of them fell in line with the religious leaders. And so Jesus had this to say to them and to all those that were listening and to you and me that are eavesdropping about these leaders. Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, and I remember one time they said to Jesus, don't you realize you offended them? Yeah, I know that. Well, here's what he said. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But don't do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Now I'd like to read verse 13, another passage. The whole chapter is full of warnings to us religious citizens to be careful what you hear in the pulpits across America and across the world. Be sure you have a discerning spirit. And here's what he reminds them of in verse 13. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees and hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. I thought preachers and teachers and university presidents and seminary presidents were supposed to open the door wide to the kingdom of God and make it easy to know how to get there. They were shutting the kingdom doors in the listeners' faces. He said, you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees and your hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make them as much or twice as much a son of hell that you are. These were the people that were supposed to be pointing people to God. And they caused their nation to rebel against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as I said again, if you aren't careful and you buy into the, the political whims, you're going to find yourself going against godly men all across America. You must know what they're doing, what they were doing. They were teaching people some of the right things, but they were not practicing. We see that on display all the time. We accuse our politicians of doing that. But have you accused your religious leaders of doing that? Look at our religious institutions. They're a culprit of pointing people to the cross and consenting people to the cross, even in our day. Our religious institutions and churches and Christian universities, pastors are just as guilty as the religious leaders of our Lord's day of leading us astray. You see, from, from the beginning, American colleges emphasized scriptural literacy 
Christian moral principles, salvation through Jesus Christ, and a biblical worldview. Almost all Ivy League institutions had similar beginnings. Think about it. They were established by conservative Connecticut Congregationalists, that's Yale, pro-awakening New Jersey Presbyterians, that's Princeton, devout Rhode Island Baptists, that's Brown University, and mission-minded New Hampshire evangelist, Dartmouth. These schools shared common commitments to the authority of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the need for Christian influence in society. Today, Brown, ultra-liberal, Columbia, very liberal, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, liberal on steroids. <laughs> In Yale, everyone is presumed to be politically liberal, theologically progressive, and ideologically idiots. Okay, we know that about our institutions. They are not pointing people to Jesus at all. What about the pastors in the churches? Are you giving them a pass? I don't know if you realize this, but in his recently released book and a subsequent research report on worldviews, author and researcher George Barna made waves by citing statistics showing that just 9% of all born-again adults, and just 7% of Protestants possess a biblical world view. Barner reports that only half of the country's Protestant pastors, only half have a biblical world view. Now, defining such a worldview as believing that absolute morals exist that it is based upon the Bible, and having a biblical worldview on six core beliefs, that is, the accuracy of biblical teaching, the sinless nature of Jesus, the literal existence of Satan, the omnipotent and omniscience of God, salvation by grace alone, and the personal responsibility to evangelize. The most important point, Barna argued, is you can't give people what you don't have. The low percentage of Christians who have a biblical worldview is a direct reflection of the fact that half of our primary religious teachers and leaders do not have one. In some denominations, the vast majority of the clergy do not have a biblical worldview, and it shows up clearly in the data relating to the theological views and moral choices of people who attend those churches. The research also points out that even in churches where the pastor, yours truly, has a biblical worldview, most of the congregation does not. I believe our congregation is different, though. More than six out of every seven congregants in the typical church do not share the biblical worldview of their pastor, even when he has one. Wow. 
So the first place to begin is in the house of God. These preachers that are proclaiming the truth on television and in the pulpits of America, many are responsible for pointing people away from the cross. They too would have been consenters, just like the religious leaders of our Lord's day. But that doesn't give you and me a pass either. Although we may not have directly been responsible to consenting to the cross, we have indirectly consented to the cross. You and I are as guilty of Christ's death. And see, this is the reason why I brought this up, because there's a lot of blame game going around all through the last two centuries. But really, you and I are as guilty of Christ's death as Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, Herod Antipas, Pilate. Now, they have the greater sin, but our sin is also responsible for sending Jesus to the cross. Remember Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means none of us lived the standard that God intended us to live. Only Jesus did that. And then Romans 8, or 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You really have to meditate on that and chew on that to understand exactly what that means. It would be like you and me dying for the worst person on death row. Would you do it? What about 2 Corinthians 5, 21 that says, For he, that's God, made him who knew no sin... To be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus laid down his life to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins. The bottom line is many people were consenting to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you were living back then, what's your worldview? And would your worldview have condemned Jesus Christ? Would your religious leader have condemned Jesus Christ? What about the cruelty that led to the cross? See, when they consented to that, it led to a lot of cruelty. Jacob brought up last week about the, the envy of Pilate. But what about the hate? What about all the false accusations at God? And what about the mock trial? And then, what about the religious and worldly men who beat Jesus before he went to the cross? Now, I always like to look at the cruelty of the cross because too often throughout our lives, we see a pretty nice shiny object. Or even when it's depicted in some of the churches that I used to attend, there was a little trickle of blood coming from Jesus' side, and a little trickle of blood coming from his hands and from his head. And it really doesn't tell the story to your children and to your grandchildren, even to yourself. I am grateful and indebted to Mel Gibson, who created the masterpiece of the passion. Oh, he's not perfect, and neither was the film absolutely perfect. But I believe most of it did. And I just wanted to play one scene about the cruelty of the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. oh! Oh! 
show that simply because you, you probably wonder why I would show something like that. And even right now, I have to stop from, because it's real, what Jesus did for you and me. I, I want to know how much Jesus suffered. And then I thought, every time I sinned, and you sinned, it caused a whooping on Jesus. Every time you and me sin, maybe seeing this will help you and me think again before we sin or think of sinning. Because Jesus took 39 lashes for you and me. He could have easily died right then and there, but it was his will to go to the cross. But it was religious people. I, I, I really can't bring that point home enough. It wasn't the world that thought of this to do to Jesus. It was the church. It was so-called so, so God's people that consented to, to the cruelty of the cross and caused him to be subjected to the Romans who implemented this form of injustice. You see, it was hate. It was hate. For Jesus in John 15 23 I want to remind you of this anyone who hates me also hates my father John 15 23 if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them 
that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without a cause. Now, church, I also want you to wake up to this fact. What we've been through in the last two years. The world hates the church. It's coming after the, the pastors. They tried to silence us. They tried to silence you. And they did silence many churches throughout America. They tried to get you to cower and be fearful of what? Health? Our health is in God's hands. Our lives is in his hands. Your days are numbered by God, not by the government or not by some disease. I'm not saying you shouldn't take precaution. And I'm not saying my mom's 91 years old, so we do need to be careful about those who are aged. And, and I do realize that some people, and I want to go on record as saying this, I realize some people, we, like always though, have to be careful. They're more vulnerable. Their immune system's down. And therefore, some people do wear a mask. And I want to make sure you understand that some people do have to do that. I might have made light at times of some things, but I understand that some people have to take some precaution to make sure that their loved ones are okay. But the majority of us, all of you know the stats. All of you know what the world tried to do. And if we aren't careful, they're going to try to divide us and divide one another. And believe me, the church was divided by the world. What should we do? What should we not do? He also said in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Let me just give you some little examples of how the world is toward believers in many arenas, and we'll show some pictures on the screen. This, this UFC fighter, Ural Romero, a Cuban native, a UFC fighter, an athlete. He was always imploring Americans to get back to their religious roots. Guess what? Because of this, President Dana White of the UFC instructed the fighters not to mention Jesus because many in the UFC are believers in Jesus Christ and he wants to silence them. I don't like Dana White anymore. What about Bubba Watson? We're all watching the Masters this week, at, that is, those who like golf. Bubba Watson, his speech when he won the two, 2012 Masters, he was bragging on God like he always does. And guess what? ESPN cut it short. Oh, something went wrong. They don't want you talking about Jesus in the world. They hate Jesus, and they hate anybody that talks about Jesus. Well, what about Benjamin Watson, an NFL player for the New England Patriots? His interview was cut short by CNN because he was praising God too much. You better think twice before you turn on the news and start listening to the world who's got every moral decision wrong, and they're going to try to tell you how to live life on this planet. Wow. Be careful who you listen to. What about... Christian Bale, an English actor. He has a long list of movies. And as he was receiving his trophies, 
he gave praise to Satan and they applauded him with a standing ovation. One more I'd like to bring your attention to. What about Neymar Jr.? I know we have a lot of fans of soccer, a famous Brazilian soccer player for the PSG. In 2021, he was paid a half a million euros, more than 600,000 a month, not to mention Jesus. See, he wore a headband, 100% Jesus. And they said, you can't do that. We'll give you a lot of money not to do that. I don't know if you know that about Neymar Jr. You see, the point is this. The world does not like us. Be in the world, but not of the world. They're responsible, greatly responsible for the cruelty of the cross. But so are supposedly people that attend churches. I received most of my persecution. I was afraid of the world. It was believers. It was preachers. It was Christians that were giving me a hard time during the last two years. They thought I looked like an oddball, and they were right. (laughs) I want to set the table so that we're ready to handle whatever comes down the pike this year. Trust me, the world's election's coming up in the fall. Trust me, they're going to pull out all stops to make you ignoramuses and convince you that they are God. And you need to look to them for all your needs instead of Christ the Savior. But after this cruelty that I wanted to show more and I decided to cut it off, Jesus was so much in pain and agony, his body was ripped open. Remember, he had been pummeled by the religious people first, punching him in the face, spitting on him, humiliating him, mocking him, putting a crown of thorns on him. Then they handed him over to the worldly officials, and they did a lot to him, beat him up, hit him with his own rod and stick. Then they handed him back to, after they brutally beat him, back to the religious people, and then back and forth they went. He went. So now he's getting ready to carry the cross, the crushing weight of the cross. I, I told you I wanted to talk about the crushing weight of the cross. Imagine. I mean, you, you've had a little open wound and, and just the air or a, a, your shirt or your pants touching that open wound, the agony that you're in. His whole body was ripped open. Now he's got to carry this heavy piece of wood to the streets of Golgotha. Well, Jesus carried that weight, but he was in such pain and he was drained of his strength that God sent someone to help his son just like he did in the garden. He strengthened Jesus in the garden. Jesus needed to go to the cross and the enemy would have liked to try to kill him there. But he had no power over God. And so God brought Simeon into the place. And it's a good picture of my last point, which is God wants you and me to commit to carrying our own cross. 
potestis? Videre non potestis, quod iste homo procedere sicutot non potest. Iubateu. crushing weight of the cross, so powerful that God sent help to his son, just like he will send help to you when you're crushed by the world or by your troubles and tribulations, God wants to send you help, but he's not going to eliminate the pain and suffering always. In Isaiah 53, he reminds us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 10, it says, Yes, it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, the cruelty of the cross should have killed Jesus. The weight of the cross should have crushed an exhausted Savior. But he pressed on. And the picture of Simon helping carry the cross is what Jesus is asking all of us to do. The last point I want to make this morning. Jesus commands all of us to carry the cross of suffering. It's not a beautiful ornament that you hang or a piece, piece of jewelry that you hang around your neck. Now you know a little bit more of what it means to carry your cross. Jesus said, again, I'll repeat the passage found in Luke 9, when he said, if anyone would come after me, 
He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of his holy angels. So he's saying if you're ashamed of taking up your cross because of what people will say about you in school or what people will say about you at work or what people will say about you in the government, then God is going to be ashamed of you when you stand before him. But he's, I just want you to write these down, these five little bullets Christ spoke of five things that are required of a person who wishes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ready? Number one. If you want to be a follower, a disciple of Christ, if any man will come after me, you, in other words, you must desire. These are going to be all these. Desire, the desire in discipleship. If any man will come after me, you have to desire to be a follower of Jesus. And all that that means, let him deny himself. So there's denying in discipleship. This means you will not be selfish. You will be willing to sacrifice in order to follow Christ. You see, many people are not willing to deny themselves anything today. And then notice the duty in discipleship. Take up the cross. This speaks of duty. It speaks of hard, difficult, painful duty. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not easy. It involves many difficult and painful duties. Now, I've been pastoring since 1982. And you don't like to think of yourself as well, I, that I received any persecution. Got fired from my first church. Second church, they called me the devil. Imagine calling me the devil. Third church folded. Next church split up. I thought, wow, what, what's that? Lord, I feel like I'm in the world. It was believers. It was the leadership in the church. I, you guys have known me for a while. I haven't changed my spots. I haven't changed at all. Maybe they didn't like my hair. Maybe they didn't like my, I don't know what it was they didn't like about. Maybe I was too loud at times. I tried not to get political. And I dared tell a woman to sit down when she tried to interrupt my service. I must have committed blasphemy in their eyes. I did receive persecution, and my family suffered because of it. Turned off the phones. We didn't know where we were going to go, where we would get a job from. We couldn't call anybody. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. No, I'm not that old, but it was back in the 80s. Religious people giving to persecution but they were really persecuting Jesus you see when they persecute you they're persecuting Jesus I know a lot of you would say well you probably deserved it well, that's what a lot of people said about Jesus he deserved it. how dare you talk about our religious leaders the way you did you're going to have to put on your thinking cap two more the dedication and discipleship notice it's done daily it's done every day he said, daily take up your cross. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. There's going to be accusations. 
But what I don't expect is my brothers and sisters to go against me. And neither do you. Daily take up your cross requires faithfulness and steadfastness. You know, I'm getting up there in age, and one of my goals is I want to end well. See, the devil's still trying to come after me, and he's still trying to come after you. I need your prayers, and you need my prayers because I want to be faithful to the end. You know, a lot of people skip church, skip prayer meetings, skip a lot of other church things. I love to be around the church. I dove into the church hook, line, and sinker. I like what one guy said. It's funny. You people that get saved, you, you put on a Speedo and you, you, you tiptoe into the waters of Christianity. Me, I took the plunge. The plunge. All the way at church every day that I could be there. Around believers, I always wanted to. I didn't, I, didn't want, I didn't want to watch the worldly stuff. I didn't want to be around worldly people. I didn't want to smoke the worldly smoke. That's what God does in you and does in me. He causes us to be dedicated. And then finally, the devotion in discipleship. Follow me. So we said there should be a desire. You need to deny yourself. There's a duty. There's a dedication daily. And then the devotion, follow me, not a pastor, not a religious leader, follow him. This is what discipleship is all about. Because of sin, Jesus was persecuted and suffered. Jesus said all those, let me repeat this, all those in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and must take up your cross and embrace it. Don't run from it. There is joy, Jesus said, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross because he knew what was beyond the cross. Colossians 2.13 tells us that you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave you of all your sins. You know, I was watching the athletes yesterday and the masters and I thought of one particular individual, won't name who that person is, and I just thought about the cloud of sin over that person as he was golfing. And I thought, oh my goodness, the sin of the world must be weighing this person down because he has not been forgiven. But those who have been forgiven, God lightens your load. He forgives you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can walk around in this planet a lot lighter. You want to lose some weight? Get saved. The weight of the world would be off your shoulders. The cross represents, I'll end with this, the fulfilled prophecy. God revealed his plan to defeat Satan. The cross in Jesus' day symbolized the brutal and shameful death of a slave or a criminal. The cross represents the suffering Jesus endured, Psalms 22. To the Christian, the cross represents the most incredible gift we've ever received. It's a gift we truly cannot comprehend, would never have asked for, and know there's nothing we can do to deserve it. Are your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven? If not, it is amazing. That's why Jesus endured the cross. I said this yesterday at a funeral. And I say it today, this, this, this morning, 
that you remember when there was PPP for the businesses, for profit and nonprofit. You remember you could file for PPP and get the money. Some people didn't file for it and they could have received it. But there was a catch to the PPP. I know that many churches received it. You had to ask for forgiveness. Did you know that? You had to ask for forgiveness of that loan they gave you. And it was already forgiven. All you had to do was file and ask for it. Many people didn't know that. All you have to do is ask. There's a PPP that God has given you. He's paid the penalty per person. There's four P's there, though. He's paid the penalty per person. It's already been paid for. All you have to do is ask. Would you stand at this time with me? If you're here today, I want to ask a couple of our small group leaders if they'll come up here, like Steve and Steve, two Steves, and now the Steve's gone. If you come up here, maybe one of your wives could come up with you just in case people want to pray. We are taking this time every week because people need prayer. They're going through. If you knew what I knew, you would be way down because of what God's people are going through. Persecution, turmoil, troubles, tribulation, trials. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But God honors the prayer of righteous men and women. And we want to pray for you. Praying for you doesn't mean you're a, a, a worse sinner than the ones that didn't come forward. It just means you want prayer. There's things I need prayer for. You need prayer for. So we want you to come forward at this time. But if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you're looking at online or you're here for the first time or you're here for the 20th time, when are you going to make that decision to put your trust in Jesus alone and he will credit your bank account forgiveness and replace it with righteousness. Instead of sin, he'll put righteousness in that bank account. And you cannot get to heaven without righteousness in your bank account. You can't get there. So, Father, I pray today that you have been glorified and exalted. We cannot thank you enough. We cannot sing enough. We cannot give enough to pay back what you've done for us. As Paul said, I have a debt of love I owe you. And so every day, daily, we take up the cross, those who love you, and we want to follow you, Father. I know you're going to help us, but we're praying, help us. Today, there's people here, Father, weighed down by the world that love you, that are saved. Would you bring some relief? Would you make yourself known? May they have a God encounter today. Is my prayer with the other saints. Please make yourself known to them. And there's some that brought grief on their own selves because of sin. Remind them there's forgiveness. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray that you remind that individual or those individuals that have sinned that that's why you went to the cross, to forgive them. Blanket them with your blood, Father. Cover them. Cover their sin with your blood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.